Um, I also wanted you to, to make notice. Did you happen to notice that we had two Torah scrolls this morning? <laughs> yes, our, our Torah, our main Torah scroll was repaired. Uh, Rabbi Michael Schiffman was here last week. He came all the way up from Florida, and he repaired the, the, the Torah. It had to have new uh, rollers put on it. And so a bunch of people were here, actually, and got to see him, how he does the repair. He is, uh, the term is called a sofer. I think he's actually was an apprentice so far or something. But a sofer is, is, is a person who actually uh, writes out the, uh, the Torah scroll, fills it out, and knows how to repair it and this kind of stuff. So he came all the way up from Florida and uh, did that repair last week, right before the big snowstorm. So... But so we're back in business with two two Torah scrolls. Um, also, he mentioned the history of these. He could tell by looking at it. Uh, the one we're using, the, the one that has the new rollers on. He said, and he can tell by he said it's a hundred years old, and it's of Polish origin. And he can tell by the number of uh, the columns and the number of rows and such. Now the other one is actually an older one that's taller and skinnier. He said that is 250 years old and is of German origin. Again, he's the export, ex, expert, not export. I could say they were exported from Germany and Poland. but uh, um, So kind of uh, interesting, you know, quite interesting. We have uh, quite a bit of uh, history, a beautiful treasure, really, in, the, in these Torah scrolls. So, okay, let me get on with my sermon. It's called, When Life is a Struggle. I think everyone can agree, at times, we experience life being a struggle. We go through some difficult periods in life. Some, sometimes they're very difficult. Now, that struggle can come in various forms. It can be health-related. It can be financially related. It can be relational, the way you're getting along with your family, siblings, even friends and such. It can be very personal. Life's not easy. We are often tempted to think, well, if I just had enough money, or if I just had the right job, or if I just lived in fill in the blank, city, state, country, everything would be okay. Parents might say, well, you know, if my kids were just like the Joneses' kids, or the Smiths' kids, life would be so much easier. Everyone goes through struggles at times. And it's because sin has broken things in life. God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, he said, because you sinned, all your life you will struggle. Because you sinned, all your life you will struggle. And Adam's sin passed on. That struggle is passed on to us today. Our struggle are in three main areas. We struggle with other people, we struggle with ourselves, and we struggle with God. First of all, we struggle with other people. Every relationship is broken by sin. Nothing works perfectly. I don't care how perfect your relationship is, at some point you're going to have struggles. Our relationships, regardless of how close they are with the other person, will at times face disappointment, misunderstanding, conflict, and competition. 
A great example of someone who struggled in the Bible is Jacob. We're still reading the portion this week about Jacob. Jacob struggled with his brother. Jacob struggled with his two wives. And if ever there's a reason for not having polygamy, uh, Jacob and his wives are a good example. He struggled with his father-in-law. He struggled with his children. You name it, he struggled. His, pretty much his entire life was a struggle of one sort or another. Secondly, we struggle with ourselves. Our biggest battle is often not with other people, but ourselves. We struggle with our fears. We struggle with our flaws, our temptations, our feelings of guilt, our resentment, and our habits. Look in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15, if you will. If we could pull that up. And this is the Apostle Shaul. This is Paul saying. He says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree with the law is good. He agrees with Torah. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living within me that does it. And you know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really doing, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with me in my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Even the Apostle Paul struggled. Even he had to deal with it. Thirdly, I said we struggle with God. Most of all your struggles with other people and your struggles with yourself are rooted in your struggle with God. Why is that? You ask, why do we struggle with God? Because Number one, we doubt his, his wisdom. And number two, we want to be in control. We want to be in control. It's that old sin nature. God says, don't do that. And you say, I want to do that. It makes me happy. God says, don't do that. But I want to, it makes me happy. I want to do it anyway. Then you experience consequences. Sometimes we act like little kids. You can tell your child, don't do that, but they keep insisting, but I want to do that. And you say, no, it's not good for you. It's not healthy. But they try to get away with it anyway. Why do kids do that? Is it because they think you don't love them? No. Because in their mind, they think that maybe they, they think they know better. Well, it can be the same way with our relationship with God. We think foolishly that we know better. And Jacob exemplified this struggle with God. If we look at Hosea in chapter 12, it says, Even in the womb, 
Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. Even in the womb, he struggled with his brother. Can you imagine that? Poor Rebecca having these two twins fighting with each other in there. Talk about a little bit of agita. We're going to look a little bit more, though, at, at, at Jacob's life and his struggles and what we can learn and apply in our lives. So Jacob struggled all his life. He struggled before he was even born. He grabbed his brother's heel as he was being born. There was some dysfunction in the family. Dad, Isaac, liked his brother Esau better. Mom, Rebecca, favored Jacob. Jacob tricked his brother into giving up his birthright. Then with his mother as an accomplice, they tricked the old man, Isaac, into giving the blessing to Jacob instead of his brother Esau. Esau ends up being so angry about losing his birthright and his blessing to Jacob that he threatens to kill him. So Jacob then has to flee to the east. He goes to live with his uncle Laban. While he's there, he ends up marrying Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Now, do you know Jacob's name literally means supplanter or deceiver, manipulator? How would you like to go around in life with your name being your chief sin? Hi, I'm liar. Or hi, pleased to meet you. I'm cheater. Hello, I'm gossip. Here's a true story. Many years ago, Mary and I bought a house in Chesterfield County, and the previous owners were a British couple. Their last name was Trollope. It's one of those funny things where I kept wondering about the name. Where have I heard that name? Where have I heard that taint, the term before? Where have I heard that name? What does it mean? So, I mean, it was like, I think it's after we closed on the house. It was like, it kept bothering me. So I looked it up in the dictionary. Do you know what it means? It's an old English word for prostitute. I, I'm not kidding about this. Can you imagine having that as your last name? Basically, prostitute? What does it say about your family history? Anyway, so after Jacob has been living with Laban for 20 years, God tells him to go back home, and Jacob obeys. Now, that's a big deal because he knows his brother Esau is still back there waiting to get even. Let's turn and read about what happens next in Genesis, verse 32. It says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and men and have won. 
God said, and by the way, there's, there's speculation. Was this man, was he an angel? Was he Yeshua? He, was, he represented God for sure. But God said, you have won. You are no longer going to be called deceiver, manipulator, but you're going to be called Israel. Israel means one who triumphs with God. It can also mean a prince with God. He goes on to say in verse 29, Please tell me your name, Jacob said. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Wrestling. Wrestling is a close contact sport. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Very close. It's basically intimate, if you want to call it. I wrestled for one year when I was in high school. We will not go into my success, or I'd better say lack of success in the sport. But I will tell you, it is strenuous. Strenuous. It is very strenuous. It's intense. You try to pin and subdue your opponent. Back when I was in wrestling, we would wrestle for three two-minute periods. It gets exhausting. I cannot imagine wrestling all night long. It had to be utterly tiring and exhausting. But why did Jacob do it? He was all alone. He'd send his family on ahead. And the other thing is, why did God let him win? I mean, after all, God is God. He can do what he wants. He could have ended that wrestling match like that, right? But he didn't. Because God does his deepest work with you in your identity when he's face to face. He can change the way you see yourself. He can make lasting change in you, just like the way he changed Jacob to Israel. The Bible teaches us actually how to wrestle with God and win. You're going to go through struggles in life. How are you going to get through those struggles and win? How are you going to handle the unanswered prayers, those things you deal with? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your cares, your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If God didn't care for you, you couldn't wrestle with him. You could not struggle with him. I want to talk to you about laments. A lament, L-A-M-E-N-T. What, what is an, a lament? Basically, a lament is a passionate complaint to God. There's a whole book written by Jeremiah, Jeremiah called Lamentations, which is basically a whole list of complaints about how hard life is and how basically life kind of sucks. There's a big difference I want to point out, though, about lamenting or complaining to God and complaining about God. Complaining about God, he doesn't tolerate so much. Complaining or crying out to him, that's a different story, actually. Though there are 150 psalms in the Bible, but not all of them are praise and thanksgiving and joy. In fact, about 65 of them are really laments. 
their pleas, their complaints. There's an interesting fact, though. There's a, there's a pattern of laments in the Bible. Whether it is from Abraham, whether it's from Moses, whether it's from David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they're always usually in a form of prayer. And they have this form. One, there's the complaint. God, why is this happening? God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why did you allow blank? And then there's the appeal. God, won't you help us? God, aren't, aren't you God? Aren't you our God? Won't, won't you do something? And then there's the reminder. God, God, didn't you promise to take care of us? Are we not your people? Did you not say, you say in your word that blank? And finally, there's a trust factor. They say, God, we trust you. God, we know you will hear us. So how do you talk to God in your struggle when you're, you're in a major struggle in your life? Well, number one, you could tell God what you think is unfair or painful. There are a lot of folks in the Bible that did this. Job did this. He had a lot to complain about. David did this. Jeremiah did this. Isaiah did this. Let's look at an example. Psalm of David, Psalm 13. <clears throat> he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must, and there's that word, wrestle. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust, says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's look at one in Lamentations. It says, he has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast with me. Yet this I will call to mind. And therefore, I will have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my, por was my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Both David and Jeremiah cried out to the Lord. Their pain is real. You can hear it in their words. Their suffering is real. Their afflictions burden them, yet in the end they worship. One more, Psalm 142. Again, this is David. And the title of this, it says, When He Was in the Cave of Prayer. So we know this is the time when he was 
on the run from Saul. Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. It says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. There's the word complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. You hear in their words fatigue, disappointment, fear. Sometimes you hear anger. Sometimes you hear the hurting. You see, just like them, you can cry out to God. You can complain to God. You just don't complain about God. You just don't complain against Him. So how do you do it? Well, you complain in faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You pray, God, I know you can hear me. God, I know the promises you have made to me. Here's an example, Psalm 55. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. You see, you can speak to him. You can bring your lament. It's okay to speak to God. You have a relationship. Secondly, you want to appeal to God's nature. You say, but God... You're loving, you're kind, you're good, you're merciful. God, you are all-powerful. God loves it when you do this. Abraham argued with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses changed God's mind about punishing Israel for being disobedient. More than one occasion, actually. You can speak to God. You can say, God, you know I'm out of work. God, you know I've been sick. King David did it. King Jehoshaphat did it. Remind God of what he said. You know, it'd be like with kids saying, Daddy, you promised you could take us to Disney World. Daddy, you see, promised, you promised. And then, you know, we tend to, oh, we forget. We don't get around to do it. But they remind you, you promised. You promised you were going to take us. You say, but you will because you did promise. You want to fulfill that. Jeremiah reminded God of his reputation many times. He said, God, if you don't do this, you're going to look bad. He said, you know, come on, God. You don't want to look bad in front of those unbelievers. So what did Jacob do? We continue in verse in uh, Jacob in uh, Genesis 32. So Jacob prayed. He said, "O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant." I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make you 
descendant, make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob reminded God of his promises. He said, God, how can you make my descendants like the sands of the sea if I get wiped out, if my brother Esau kills me? And you know what? God likes that. He likes, to be remind, he likes it when you remind him of his promises. It shows you're listening to him. And the fourth thing is to express your total trust in him. Every psalm where David laments, where he complains, he always ends with, God, I trust you. Even Job, despite all he went through, trusted God. In Job 13, 15, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Even if he kills me, I will have hope in God. Even if he kills me, even if he takes my life, even if that disease that is afflicting me takes my life, I will still trust in him. I will still put my trust in the Lord. Habakkuk, chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the, cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The way you win a struggle with God is by surrendering. In return, you get the blessings on your life, and you will sense his presence. The most dangerous disease that you can have is to think that you're in control. You are not. God is in control. I will make my declaration not of independence, but of dependence on God. Dependence on God. And in Genesis 32, then in verse 31, it says, The sun rose upon him, that's Jacob, as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Remember it said that God touched Jacob's hip? What is the significance of touching his hip? Your hip is the strongest part of your body. It is in your core strength. We've had some folks in here that have had hip replacement. You know what an ordeal that is, what it takes to rehabilitate. God touched Jacob in the strongest part of his body. All his life, Jacob ran away from his struggles. He ran away from responsibility. But God fixed that. No longer would Jacob run away. He would carry a reminder the rest of his life. Let me ask you, what areas are you struggling in life with? Are you struggling in finances? Are you struggling in health? Are you struggling with an unrealized dream? Do you have an unanswered prayer? Where have you been afraid to give up control? When do we say, I've been trying to manipulate this all my life, I've been trying to fix it on my own, but it just ain't working. Where have you doubted God's wisdom? 
Where have you said, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? Is it really not okay for me to do this? Is it really not okay for me to be lazy at work? Is it really not okay for me to be nasty to my brother, my fellow man? These are questions to ask. Let's pray. God, you know our struggles. God, you know our fears and our weaknesses. You know the relationships we have. And you know the regrets, the habits, the addictions we deal with. God, we realize that all our struggles are really involved in our struggle with you. It's our wanting to be in control. God, we realize our blessings come not from trying harder, but by us surrendering the things to you. We know we can't control things. We surrender them to you. Lord God, we thank you that you care, that you love us, and we give ourselves 100% to you. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Thank you all.